Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi, and welcome to Self-Improvement Atlas, the personal science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm Marie Stella, your host from Melbourne, Australia. Let's start the show. Welcome back to the show. Art collecting is a lot more commonplace than it seems. Whether you realize it or not, you might be a bit of an art collector yourself. Think comic books, ceramics and such. I myself like to collect photographs and art prints from local artists, but building relationships and art collecting is a connection that I have never really drawn in my years of art collecting. Um, years is a bit of a reach, but still. Um, the more that I think about it, though, it does make sense. So I am thrilled to get to chat with art appraiser and advisor Victoria Shaw about the role of art collecting in connecting with people. Hi, Victoria. Um, thank you so much for coming yeah. on the show. How are you going today? Um, things are good. I mean, it's a very busy week. The week after Labor Day is always very hectic in the art world in New York because we have the Armory Fair and then we have other multiple um, satellite fairs. So, for instance, yesterday I was at a fair called Spring Break, which is uh, mostly emerging artists and smaller galleries or curators. And then today was the opening of the Armory Fair at the Javits Center and also a new satellite fair called uh, Photo Fairs. Uh, which I'm probably going to go to tomorrow. And then, of course, there's the independent fair as well. So there's a bunch of things going on this week. It's That at sounds... Same time, there's, there's the galleries that are having events in, in tandem with everyone who's here in New York. And then, of course, the auction houses of their preview. So last night I was at a, a panel discussion um, at an auction house that I really like called Mons. That sounds incredibly hectic. But at the same time, it must be fun it is. It's it's super fun. It's it's exhausting, and you you really do have to pick and choose about what's meaningful to you and what you need to go to and what you can skip uh, for the next year, because you know we have limited amounts of time to see art, and of course I have other responsibilities with my clients, so I I can't spend every day at an art fair just looking at art. I'd love to, but it just it just doesn't work that way. So I'm I'm pretty wiped out, um, and I'm going to be probably pretty wiped out through the end of this weekend because the art fairs continue through the weekend. So I'll be seeing a lot of art this week. Yeah, I probably never experienced this um, to the same caliber as you are experiencing it, but I definitely related to that with. Um, the design fair in Melbourne where I wanted to go to so many workshops and so many of the events but I just couldn't go to all of them and that was kind of (laughs) sad you can't do everything and I don't think it's designed for you to do everything I think that a lot of the satellite fairs are aware that 
sometimes people get a little fatigued by the bigger fairs and they would welcome a more intimate atmosphere of a smaller fair. And so what ends up happening, you know, at least for me personally, I actually prefer some of the satellite fairs rather than the main fairs, mostly just because they tend to be smaller, more interesting venues and art that is kind of surprising. When you go to the larger fairs, and, and I'm sure this is true with the design fair that you were talking about, it, it tends to be artists and designers that you've seen before. Whereas with you, whereas with the smaller emerging art or smaller design venues, you're going to see things that maybe surprise you. Yeah, that sounds like um, there are advantages and disadvantages to having so many things going on. You know, on one hand, you can pick and choose from a selection of various things and on the other hand you actually can't go to everything so yeah uh, you can but that's okay we, you know yeah, that is always okay. next year there's always next year mm -hmm. uh now before we get started we like to get to know you better this is have you met victoria shaw or uh, what do you do in your spare time do you read any books Yes. In fact, I'm reading an amazing book right now uh, by an Australian author. It's called Horse, and she won the Pulitzer Prize. And it's about a painting of a 19th century racehorse that ends up uh, in the hands of a PhD uh, candidate. And he ends up doing a, a, a lot of research about this particular painting. And it's, it's a really wonderful book. And I'm blanking right now on the author's name, but she is Australian and she comes from an equestrian background. So she's very, very specific about horses and horse racing. And of course, she also learned a lot about art and art that collecting sounds, and art scholarship. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I feel like there's nothing more gratifying than learning about the history and the background of whatever art that you possess. Um, and the story behind it. So, yeah. Um, what about movies or TV shows? Are there any that you're watching right now? You know, I I, I have this sort of love-hate um, relationship with TV, probably because I watched too much of it as a child. And back then, the television writing was terrible. And yet, we <laughs> all got sort of sucked into it. You know, now, of course, I barely have time to watch television. When I do watch television, it's usually something uh, foreign or it's something in period costume. And my kids laugh at me all the time. Why do you always watch period dramas? And it's because I love costume design. I love seeing the specific, you know, clothing. For instance, Downton Abbey was one of my favorite television shows, mostly because the clothing was so gorgeous and the interiors uh you know the antiques the architecture i just loved it so oh, that architecture. that's kind of my thing yes yeah the architecture is always so breathtaking and it makes you want to visit these places so much it does it really <laughs> does yeah um do you listen to any podcasts by any chance I listen to a podcast uh, called Jerry Gagosian, which is a, a woman who's an artist and she is, uh, she started out um, creating these memes where she was making fun of the art world and she built it into this really amazing brand and she has publications and she has podcasts. And I just find it so fascinating because her take on the art world is very irreverent and, but it's very truthful and she is very, very, astute at her observations about some of the aspects of the art world that are just 
you know, we, you sort of have to accept it for what it is. It's, it's, you know, the art market is, is almost completely unregulated. I mean, with the exception of, of appraisers and people who file, it's, you know, practice a donation appraisal has to be written by an appraiser. You can't just donate a work of art and put whatever amount of money on it. It has to be done a certain way. So in that way, the art world does get regulated. And then, of course, auction houses have rules that they need to adhere to in terms of how bids are placed and transparency and all that. Um, but the art world is is very mysterious to a lot of people. And I think it's, it's becoming less so. I think that people are much more interested in art and more, more people buying than ever before. I mean, of course, right now we're at a little bit of an art market correction. But in general, the art market has hovered in the 60 to $65 billion range globally for the past few years. So we're talking about huge transactions and multiple transactions across the globe all the time. Yeah, I did watch a few documentaries on the art market art world, and it was always so interesting because it's nothing like I ever imagined. Well, I didn't think about it that much, but... (laughs) It definitely wasn't what I would think of, you know. Um, so it's always interesting to see these. Um, I wouldn't say ex- I wouldn't say these things exposed, but more of just like you know talked about more and discussed a bit more. Like what? Um, for example, like uh, there was there was this one. I think he was a YouTuber or something who did this deep dive into um, crimes in, in the art world and how they happen and why it's so possible for that to happen. Well, and was, was it about fakes and forgeries? Uh, I think so. I can't remember anymore. It was quite a while ago. I'm so sorry. No, no, it's fine. Because there's more than one crime in the art world. Yeah, there's, there's so many. There's forgeries. There's um, people who sell fakes and forgeries. There's people who... Um, steel art there's art that is stolen from museums um it's oh yeah i think i think it was about stolen art actually it's yeah i know it's a huge it's a huge problem um Uh, it it does happen more than more than we'd like to to think i mean sometimes what art collectors do if they're very very nervous about theft in their homes is they will have a copy made of their painting keep the real one in a vault somewhere off premises and have the reproduction hanging on their walls because it just feels safer for them. I thought that, I'm gonna be honest, I thought that that was something that only happened in movies. <laughs> well, no, because people are very concerned. And so yeah, they don't want, uh, you know, the risk of damage, you mm-hmm. know, casual damage. Somebody comes over to your house with a glass of wine, whoops, oh, there goes my glass of wine. Uh, you know, it, 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 it does happen. Yeah, fair that's enough. That's why people have to have their art insured, and that's one of the reasons why they call appraisers like me. And I, I do appraisals, and I also do art advisory. But, but what's interesting for me about appraisals is that I usually only do appraisals if the client has to have an appraisal. You know, for instance, if their insurance company says we will not insure you until you get an updated appraisal, or you have to pay your estate taxes and you need an appraisal to do that. So. Usually an appraisal situation is a have-to situation. And sometimes it's a happy reason. Sometimes they just think, well, I would like to donate this painting. And that's going to make me feel good. And I'm going to get a tax deduction. And it's going to go to a beautiful museum and hang there for everyone to see. And isn't that wonderful? Those are the best. I I love doing donations. Yeah, that's really nice. 
very good. Yeah, that's yeah. great to hear. Um, all right, so I think we've gotten to know you uh, a bit better. So we'll move right on to the interview portion of the recording. The first question we like to ask our guests, um, because it might differ for every person, is how would you define personal development? Well, personal development, it's, it's very unique to each individual. And I think the beginning step in personal development is figuring out things about yourself that you need to fix, whatever that is. Maybe you were, you know, just, for instance, I have a terrible habit of saying, um, I'm sure you're going to hear, um, many times from me during this podcast. It's I do that to you. So we're going to have a competition. It's hard <laughs> to lose that habit. So yeah. Um is one of the things that I'm trying to, to, to remove from my vocabulary. And it's a, it's a stalling technique. It's when I haven't figured out what I want to say. Um, and I do think that that's a good example of something that I'm working on with my personal development. Whenever I speak, I want to remove that word. Um. And I think another aspect of personal development is just, it's very individual. For instance, people have different goals. You know, for instance, I just gave that example of how I'd love to remove the word um completely from my vocabulary that's a minor tweak, but there could be other things too. And so people have crippling shyness. You know, I, I was raised by a mother who was unbelievably shy as a child and she, she somehow undid that. I don't know how, but I think she, one of the things that she did is she, she learned to, she became a model and an actress. And she says that the reason why she lost her shyness because with acting, she was no longer herself. She was just that character. And so I thought that was really interesting, you know, yeah. how she was able to, to conquer that shyness that she had. Um, so that's just an example. But everybody has their own personal goals and personal development goals that are very unique. So everybody comes to this world with some sort of handicap. Let's face it, where nobody's born perfect. That's so, true. And someone else who might say um, as much as either of us could not think it's that much of an issue. So right. they might not think, well, I need to correct this for my personal development because to sure. them, you know, it's not important. Um, so what are the main challenges that you think people face when trying to go in this pursuit of, the, of personal development? Well, I think honesty and having the time and the courage to be reflective on oneself and what are some of the things that we could work on? And, you know, recently I was, I saw this, I saw it on Instagram actually, and it was this list of uh, six habits, six conversation habits that you need to break. And I sent it to my kids because they're 20 and 23, so that they're basically adults. And I said, do I do any of these? And the one that they came back with is they said, um, it's the one where you always need to be right. That's a conversation <laughs> habit. And I said, well, of course, because I'm your mother and I always want to be right. But I have to admit that it's okay to be wrong sometimes. And, mm -hmm. and you're happy with that. Of course, you feel like you won a little bit against, you know, this constant battle between like, who's the more wise adult. But again, I've been on this planet a lot longer than you have. So I'm probably going to have lived through some things that you haven't. So I thought that was really interesting. And, and not everybody's willing to have those kind of conversations with their kids. So I feel like my kids you know, they have some very interesting observations on me too. You know, for instance, my daughter said to me recently, she said, you're very pro-technology, but you're not always that good at it. 
Oh my god. Well, I said, yeah, no, you're that's fair. fair. Yeah. I mean, don't forget when I started my career at Christie's before we had the internet and the way I used to study auction results is just by opening up a Christie's catalog and flipping through manually and looking at page after page after page. Now I can just type in the name of the artist and then title of the painting and boom, it comes up right there on the Christie's website. So of course, I'm still learning. Yeah. Um, how old is your daughter? She's 23 in November. 23 November. Oh, I don't know why I was picturing like a five-year-old kid. And... Oh, thank you. That would be quite something if I had a five-year-old my age. Wow. It was a lot funnier in my head as of picturing her as a five-year-old kid. I was like, wow, what a mouth on that one. No, no, um... no, no. When it says something like that to me when she was five. Um, yeah, 23 makes a bit more sense now. Yes, um, yes. I think I probably i don't think i've said such a thing to my mother but i've definitely thought it so sure um, yeah but it's definitely also because i think uh my mother doesn't really foster that kind of environment where um i feel like she listens to whatever i have to say frankly i don't think she cares and that's okay um but you do so I think that's why your daughter feels comfortable enough to tell you that, which is great. I'm very blessed with my two yeah. children. They're amazing. Um, They're amazing. So on the other hand, how would you define art and art collecting? Well, I mean, art and art collecting, it, it again, it really varies on so many different factors. I, I personally love going to art fairs with artists. I think that's the best way to look at art. Um, I also like to go to museums with other artists as well. They have a very unique and different perspective because they're thinking about how many hours did it take that artist to make that piece. Wow. And that's a that's a very yeah. different approach than than somebody who's just thinking, well, where would that look nice in my home? And is it a good investment? And, you know, will my husband hate it if I bring it home? There's all these things that probably go through other people's heads when they're looking at art that they're thinking about collecting. But for me, I think it just has to do with I like to get to know the artists. I like to get to know, you know, why they are compelled to make these things. Because let's face it, I mean, some artists are truly compelled to create. They they can't live life any other way. And I'm not necessarily always thinking, like, is this a good investment, um, particularly with emerging art, because that's very, very, we don't know. There's so many things that could, could change in the artist's life and in the market. So we don't know the future. We can't predict, but we should buy things that resonate with us, speak to us, and have some sort of connection with the artist. And But that's a different approach from, for instance, I have a, a collector who I work with, and he just wanted me to help him buy, for instance, some blue chip prints for his office conference room walls. Because you know his attitude was, I want them to be blue chip artists. I want it to be a recognizable name. But I also wanted to look good with the architecture of the room. And the room was really challenging because it was a 1925 traditional neoclassic carved wood room. You know, I mean, it was it was a landmark, you know, with a traditional fireplace and traditional Georgian style moldings. And they wanted contemporary art in the walls with that. And so it was a bit of a challenge because we didn't want anything to be so washed out next to the, you know, the... Um, the art that we were replacing because the art that they previously had was incredibly washed out looking and dated 
So it was it was just kind of an interesting project because, of course, from his perspective, he didn't want to spend a lot of money. So that's why he was looking at prints at auction. And I was helping him by finding the prints at auction and then reading the condition reports and then making sure that he was bidding up to the appropriate level and not overbidding. So how did you end up finding the arts? Um, what were the challenges apart from what you just mentioned? Well, I think that the challenge was we need, it was a difficult space. I mean, if you visualize this very, very dark panel room with these, you know, very, very structured traditional carvings, you know, <laughs> these panels, we wanted something that was, first we thought we wanted something that was very vertical. And we wanted to buy a portfolio print so that there'd be sort of a continuation of theme for each panel because we're about 12 different panels on you know three sides of the room and uh and then one room also one side of the room also had the zoom screen looking into the conference room so we didn't want anything that was going to be uh distracting to the zoom participants so that was another challenge and so and of course we did the installation with me on Zoom. So I could zoom into the room, see what it looked like from my perspective with just swinging the, the camera around. And it worked out really well and they're thrilled. Um, but the other reason that they wanted prints is because again, it's a conference room. There's people running in and out all the time. They wanted something behind glass. But the challenge with that is that a Zoom camera can be very distracting if it's a very, very light colored artwork because the glare from the lights bounces off of the artwork glass and back into the Zoom uh, camera. So yeah. we ended up picking something that was a very dark vertical piece. And it's a Robert Indiana Brooklyn Bridge um, image, which is perfect because their office is right near the Brooklyn Bridge. That's really, really cool. They um, loved it. All right. So thank you so much for elaborating on that project. That was fascinating. Um, so how in your experience, has collecting art helped to establish and maintain community and relationships? Well, I think that community can be built by collectors by getting to know the artists and attending as many art fairs and art openings at galleries. Um, there's also open studios. I mean, every city has one where there's a specific district where a lot of the artists have their studios and they'll have like an open studio day where people can come into the studio and visit them in their studio and buy directly which I think is great. Um, and I think just is a question of, you know, how passionate somebody is and how much legwork they want to put into this project of, of collecting art. And what's the purpose of the art? Is it because it's going to hang on their conference room walls or is it because like, they're going to have it in their home? Is it something that they hope to pass on to their kids? Do they even have those kind of conversations with their kids? Because too often people assume, oh, well, my kids will want all this material because it was given to me by my grandparents. Well, Unfortunately, tastes change. I mean, unfortunately and fortunately, tastes change so that you may not always find that the things you have may not be suitable for the next generation or the generation after that. So it's a good conversation to have. Yeah. So what usually happens to that? Are there any kind of arguments that go on because of it? Yes, absolutely. What are they like? I think... People too often will have an argument about, you know, well, I thought that I was going to get that, you know, pending on mom's wall. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I recently had a family had that exact conversation where one of them will say, well, I'll just buy you out 
because I want it. And that's why we need the appraisal because we're going to establish the value. And I said, yes, I'll, I'll provide you with that kind of appraisal. It's called a marketable cash value appraisal. And it's the net after expenses. Cause the idea is that it, you had to sell this painting, whatever it is, um, you're going to pay fees. You're going to set it through auction. You're going to pay the auction house a commission. You're going to pay transportation fees to ship it to the auction house. Maybe you'll have to pay for it to be photographed for the catalog. It, there's a lot of different expenses. So what it, it actually, this particular item was a print. It was a multiple. So there's more than one. And I said, listen, whoever gets the print, you know, and it's a beautiful Louise Bourgeois, uh, Louise Bourgeois, uh, actually it was a Louise Nelson. Um, you know, I'll just help you find a replacement for it. It's, it's not unique. She made, you know, 50 of these. But I think it was just a question for them of like, well, blue gets the one hanging on a wall right now. And right. It, it was kind of a difficult situation because I said, I it sort of looked at them and I said, don't you already have homes that have on the walls? <laughs> Unless you're planning on moving something out and replacing it with this, like that makes perfect sense. So, so that's a conversation that I like people to have with their parents or have with their children, you know, do you even like the art that I have? <laughs> like, and it's, and, and, and that's a hard question to ask if you don't want to hear the answer is no, actually, I really don't like that stuff. Yeah. Um, do people you... feel offended for you, you know, saying, well, are you saying that I have bad taste? I mean, it's, 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 that's not what they're saying at all. It's just, it's not my taste. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do people have people ever gotten frustrated at you for saying something like that well no because i love everything i, oh, I that's great i would never <laughs> i would never say i would never say to somebody oh i don't like that i think there's value in anything because an oh. artist picked up a paintbrush and painted it and i appreciate what they what they created but the only thing i will have to say to clients sometimes i'll say listen it's it's in bad condition. It was it maybe had smoke smoke damage. Like maybe there was a smoker in the hall. Maybe it was just you know covered with dust for a hundred years. It was never cleaned properly, and the condition issue has affected it. So now the value is is less than. Or I'll just say, listen, tastes have changed. People don't buy and collect the same art that they did in the eighties and nineties. So the piece that you thought was worth a ton of money is actually worth significantly less. And that's a difficult conversation. They don't like hearing that, but I'd rather have them dislike me for being honest with them than lead them down some sort of rosy garden path mm -hmm. only to find out later that I wasn't, you know, really honest with them. But, and it's unfortunate because the thing is I, I, for instance, I love antiques, but the antiques market is very soft. People don't buy antiques the way they used to. It's a very, very well-made furniture too. It doesn't fall apart. It's just, you know, it's not like something with Ikea that's just sort of like slammed together with like your hammer and your, your you know, you DIY like <laughs> furniture assembly. I mean, these pieces are built 100 to 200 years ago and they're still here. That tells you something. They're hand built and they're meant to last. But the problem is, is that nobody buys that material anymore. So it has a much lower value. So what kind of social connection do you develop in the art collecting community? Well, I think that people develop social connections based on a lot of different you know, interactions that they have, not just art fairs and auction previews, but the way people communicate now through social media. I mean, there's artists that sell their art to collectors through Instagram, which is fascinating to me. 
Um, I think that social media is a, is a great way for people to follow artists that they like and find out when their next, you know, exhibition is going to be, whether they can be in that next group show, finding out that they got picked up by a gallery and they're now going to be with that gallery. Um, I think there's a lot of great ways that people can connect, not just in person, but, you know, online. And for instance, if there's artists that I follow and for instance, I have this one artist that I, I like to follow her wherever she speaks, either in person on a panel or if she's doing it sort of a, a Zoom call, a Zoom panel. And I just log in and, you know, listen to her speak because she's just, you know, really interesting that she knows a lot about the NFT world, which I'm still learning about. And uh, she's really wonderful. So I follow her on Instagram mostly so I can get the news about when her next speaking engagement is going to be or what her next, you know, project is going to be seen. That's amazing. Yeah, I follow some um, artists on TikTok myself. It's um, a great platform for up and coming artists to market their work. And it's also a way to show a bit about themselves to their audience, uh, which is great. I think that's really important. I think that people should get to know the artists that they're interested in collecting and get to find out what, what is important to them, what makes them tick because that is going to be transcended into their work. It's going to be important for them to to share with people. Um, and I think that, you know, there's more than just one type of art too. You know, there's people who paint, you know, pictures. And of course there's people who make nothing but prints. There's muralists, there's people who do portraits and there's different styles of art too. So it really, it just, it's very unique and it's very specific to what people are interested in. And I do think you know, I always recommend to people when they're starting to collect art, I say, you know, get to know the artists and buy directly from the artists. Great way to start your collection. Just, you know, trying to work with an art advisor as well. I do advise people, you know, if I think something is overpriced, you know, I'll tell them, you know, and, you know, that's that's not always an easy conversation to have, you know, but I, I do think it's important to to buy uh, locally, buy with artists in your community. So what exactly does an art advisor do for you? Well, an art advisor, you know, will help you figure out what your goals are and will help you sort of, you know, have these difficult conversations, you know, particularly with a husband and wife, for instance, you know, if the, if the wife is really, you know, gung-ho about a particular artist, but the husband's sort of like, well, I don't know, that price tag, you know, I can come in and I can sort of say, well, actually it is a wonderful work of art, but I don't know if I agree about spending that much on this particular artist who is doesn't seem to be quite as established as I would have expected for that price range. And it's, you know, just a conversation to have because I think that everybody should just, you know, pause and reflect and, you know, figure out what they what what is their goal here? You know, do they want to buy something because, you know, it's going to have long term investment potential? because that is definitely when you need to speak to an art advisor. Yeah, that's something I never really thought about. Uh, I guess because I never saw art as an investment. I saw it more as collecting things that I really liked looking at and had a personal attachment to somehow. Uh, so and that's I, fair. Yeah. That's, a, that's a totally reasonable way to look at art collecting. Everybody has a different approach to it. And, you know, I just happen to know a lot of different collectors, you know, on all different levels. And I think another really interesting thing is artists who collect other artists. I love seeing the collections of artists. I'm fascinated with what artists collect because 
they tend to buy the artwork produced by their friends. And it's amazing the kind of art collection they can put together in a short amount of time. Yeah, maybe someday, maybe someday I will want art for long-term investment and I will need to consult an art advisor. Maybe someday. Yeah. Oh, awesome. uh, Some people just luck out. Some people just, you know, they buy something and then the artist blows up and the next thing they know, the art that they bought from them when they were in art school is now worth a ton of money. Yeah, who knows? Um, yeah. So why, why is art collecting so useful in building these relationships? Well, I think it's just important to look at the world through other people's eyes sometimes. And I think you can do that with art collecting. I think that it's really important to see the different thought processes that an artist can have and how they can communicate that through their art. There may be things that I've never even considered and I'm looking at the artwork and I'm thinking, okay, that's a totally different perspective from, from my own, which is, yeah. which is amazing. And there's also a tremendous amount of skill that goes into, you know, becoming an artist. And there's a lot of, should be more respect for that. I don't know if there is as much as I'd like to see. I, I'd like to see more about, you know, people who really, you know, maybe they put in a lifetime of work and maybe they're not even getting the recognition that they deserve. That does happen with certain artists, you know, for instance, outsider artists, artists that are you know, completely untrained, but it, it, it doesn't seem to matter because they're able to produce amazing work. And sometimes, you know, that's perfectly fine too. So I, I just think that it's it's a great way to see the world through, you know, different different lenses. And depending on the kind of artists you like to collect, whether it's local artists or artists that are from another country, but coming here, they're gonna have something, they're gonna have a perspective that's gonna look very, very different to your own. And, and are these relationships um, built through art collecting different than your regular relationships with your other friends? And what are some of these differences? Well, I mean, if you're collecting art, it's a transaction. You're buying something from an artist. So that's immediately a different relationship. Uh, but that said, I think that it's, it's really important to to buy art from artists. I think that too often we get very caught up in a very sort of, you know, fast fashion culture where they're like, people are just like, I need these clothes. And it's just like, I mean, clothing is, it's designer clothes, that is art. That's just art that you wear. But I'm amazed at how, the, I'm, what I'm really interested in is how the fashion world and the art world are starting to collide and get, you know, really inter, intermingled, which is really interesting. But it's a different transaction, it's a different relationship because you get a chance to get to know the artist. Maybe, you know, maybe you start collecting the art when you're traveling, you know, or maybe it just sort of, maybe you inherit the art even. Maybe you're just sort of like, oh my God, I didn't know that I, you know, inherited this great piece. Maybe I love it or, or not, but it's still kind of an interesting conversation to have. Well, why do you love it or why do you not like it? And then sometimes the best solution and this is this is where like it gets it gets kind of interesting for me. It's like, for instance, you know, I grew up around the sons and daughters of artists because I grew up in downtown Manhattan at a time when there were a lot of artists still in, you know, in Manhattan. A lot of them are out in the outer boroughs now in Brooklyn, for instance. But I think it's for me, it was really interesting to go into their homes and immediately know as soon as I walked through the door that an artist lived there. 
I could just tell because a lot of a lot of what it was in the in the in the time that I was growing up in Manhattan, it was an area of Manhattan that had a lot of large loft spaces that were there were nothing fancy, but they had great light. They had great space. So that was perfect for artists in those communities. So what I was always fascinated with is knowing that I was in an artist's home immediately. I could feel it. Just the way that they, you know, their paintings were all over the place. And uh, I remember when I was really young going into this artist law and the way that they would separate, because it was just a giant open space, no walls, the way that they would separate the room is they figured out this really interesting pulley system with these oriental carpets because, Whoa. you know, and you could purchase these enormous carpets for not a lot of money. And that was how they separated the rooms. Yeah. It was so bizarre. And I loved it. <laughs> I, I love thought, that. It was, it was so cool. And I, and I feel very grateful that I grew up around so many artists, families, and that was really fun. And yet at the same time, I knew, I knew I wasn't talented to be an artist. So I just need to figure out a way to be in the art world without being an artist. So I managed to do it. It's amazing you managed to do it. Uh, I couldn't have imagined how I would have taken that thought process at all. Um, but you are living your life right now and yeah. you are in the art world. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. It's, it is really amazing. It's, it's, it is really interesting. It's always something new and it's constantly changing. You know, and it's similar. The art world is similar to the fashion world in that it's very fickle and tastes do change. So what I think is really interesting is, is I sort of look at the art world as like a little bit more, a little deeper than the fashion world, because, you know, it can, there's a lot more meaning that can be, (laughs) you know, portrayed in a piece of art, whereas fashion is a little bit, well, I don't know. I mean, they get their inspiration from other, other you know, sources, I think. Yeah, and there tends to be a lot more um, just trends that are just trends and don't really serve a bigger purpose, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. That's pretty accurate, you know. But what I think is really interesting is there's this um, Japanese artist named uh, Yaya Sama, and she's has a collaboration with Louis Vuitton right now. Oh, yeah, that, I did see that, actually. We saw the, in New York, where there was a giant Kusama robot painting inside of a, you know, Louis Vuitton, you know, with all of the polka dots all over the place. Yeah, I didn't see the one in New York, but I actually saw the collection in Singapore, I believe. Um, it was there not either not long ago or a few years ago. I can't remember now, uh, but... She's done a couple of... Tre- she's done a couple of um, collaborations with them, but there was one pretty recently last year, 2022. Oh, yeah. Then I think I think it was um, in 2022. I think I saw yeah. that in Singapore. Um, and it was in all the major cities. All the Louis Vuitton stores had a different Kusama display. Yeah, it was amazing. I don't think I ever glanced at a Louis Vuitton store that's um, with that much intrigue, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. it's never caught my eye that well before. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so that's great. Um, So now moving on to the practice slash habits uh, portion of the show, where we ask you 
some questions about the everyday application of what you shared. I'm curious to know what is something that you do when you are finding new artists to look out for? I have a daily practice, which I recommend everybody do if they're obsessed with art the way I am. And it's it's uh, the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C. has a daily game at 8 a.m. called Artle. And it's basically the same as Wordle, except it's an artist. <laughs> That's so cool. I don't, I don't get it in the first try. I start following that artist's name. Uh, and it might be just a hashtag because very often it's, it's artists from you know, hundred years ago or more, um, I'll follow that hashtag on Instagram so I can see that artist at work again and again and again. So I curate my own Instagram. I have two Instagram accounts, but I curate it in order to get the kind of, look at the kind of art that I want to look at every day. And if it's, I cannot identify the artist on the first try, then it's, then I absolutely that I need to learn. Right. And so it's, it's fun for me. And I love it and then i just yeah. i usually if i get it on the first try i post it to linkedin because i want people on linkedin to start using artle as much as i do <laughs> it's an obsession you know i, I can't help it that's really I, cool I, I, they have dead. they have so many versions of wordle now i think they have wordle versions uh like renditions of wordle but for video games or just various other things and it's Crazy. amazing um yeah and actually a tip for anyone who's listening um if you don't want to use two different instagrams for your personal account and let's say for art or whatever you like to keep track of there's now like this favorites feature that you can use actually where um you favorites uh user on instagram and um you can access this list this feed of favorites that you follow um at any given point in time so that's great that's, that's been tip. a huge help yeah i think <laughs> because that i despise switching between two instagrams i can't keep track of it so it's hard yeah yeah, yeah. um so are there any challenges in doing idol every day <laughs> I think the only challenge is that if, I mean, today was a really like an artist that I had literally never heard of because he's a, he's a Los Angeles street artist and he has, a, his name is Anthony Hernandez and I love his work. I mean, I only saw it for the first time and maybe I've seen it before, but I was, it was because the National Gallery of Art has this game, but they also participate with other museums. So this was the San Francisco Modern Art Museum that was they have a lot of Anthony Hernandez work in their collection. So it was just fascinating for me to you know, do this deep dive into this artist that I've never seen before, because I, I, I've seen plenty of New York City street art photography, but not so much with Los Angeles. And it's, it's hard to look at sometimes. I mean, street art can be pretty raw and pretty depressing. And I don't just look at art that makes me feel like, oh, happy, joyous. Like, it's not always like that. You know, sometimes you hit on something and you can't look away from it. And you just think, why can I not stop staring? This is sad. This is a, this is a, because photography in particular, especially documentary photography can be very, very charged. And, but it's important to see. I think it's, it's a little tighter capsule of a certain period and a certain day and, I mean, I've just, I like the, one of the images, I just can't get it out of my head. 
And mm -hmm. I actually found that image through Instagram because when I saw everything that I saw through the Artle, you know, deep dive, then yeah. I wanted to see more. And that was when Instagram brought me to other things. And it just brought me in touch with other curators that had also posted images of his using his hashtag. So that was cool. The old wide web. How amazing is that? Um, I yeah, I agree with you there um, with regards to street art. I went on a deep dive myself pretty recently where I found all these photographs of um, street art and graph graffiti um, in different drains and tunnels um, around the city. And it was just all very interesting and I couldn't stop looking at it. Yeah. And a lot of it would um, also come with some sort of political statement or, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they always have some underlying meaning to sure. it, uh, which yeah. is great. And yeah. um, it just makes you think it, it, it's very thought provoking. It uh, yeah, it is. And it so, makes you thankful, you know, let's face it, it, you know, if you, you know, I mean, maybe you got, you know, sort of sucked into this you know, tunnel vortex, you know, but you come out of it and you're like, oh, it's a beautiful day. It's sunny. And, you know, appreciate what we have. Right. Because let's face it, if we don't want to get too dragged down into a negative space. We want to come out of it and then you can look back on gratitude for what you have. Yeah. And appreciate the daylight. Yeah. Uh, so apart from this daily idol, <laughs> are there any practices that you do, um, perhaps maybe weekly, monthly, just frequent, like regularly? Well, I mean, for instance, when I go to an art fair, if I see an artist, you know, for instance, yesterday at the Spring Break Art Fair, I just, one of the questions that I asked as soon as I got into the booth, because the booths are manned by both a curator and an artist, or sometimes a curator and several artists. And I wouldn't always know who I was talking to. So I would say, are you the artist or are you the curator? And you cannot tell, you know, and it's it's so interesting to ask the artists, you know, well, you know, was, was it fun making this? I mean, what what was your inspiration? You know, you know, you know, what led you in this direction? And just find out a little bit more about what got them started on this particular project. And the the ferry yesterday had a lot of um artists that I, you could tell that it took them hours and hours to produce these pieces but you know it's 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 just sort of you know it's it's what they're meant to do they're they're meant to create i don't have the patience to create i just don't um i don't have the skill or the talent either but i definitely appreciate people who do do you ever find it difficult to go up and talk to an artist or um, are they generally pretty welcoming to talking to you? I feel like when I was younger, I was more intimidated by them. And I think that as I've gotten older, um, I just I just don't care as much what people think of me. Yeah, you're just like, screw it. <laughs> One of the benefits of getting older, I just think yeah. I don't care. <laughs> It's fine. You can think whatever you want because I'm going to go off on my merry day and I will forget this this ever happened. And most people at art fairs, um, particularly this one that I keep mentioning, Spring Break, they're just really thrilled to have you in their booth. And I was there on their their early you know VIP access day because I have bought paintings in the past this art fair, and so I think that I'm just sort of put into this mailing list, which is nice. 
And, um, and I think for me, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's not hard if you're passionate about what you're seeing and they're passionate about what they created. It's just a great conversation, but you don't need to feel compelled that you need to buy everything you see. I mean, you're, you're still going to know the artist and you, you, there's no rush, you know, that art will still be there and you can maybe buy something tomorrow or the next day or the next year. So I think that some people get intimidated at art fairs because they think, oh, well, they're not going to want me to waste their time. But mm-hmm. I don't think that's, I don't think that's true at all. I think oh, there's yeah. a lot of downtime in an art fair. And unless you see somebody actively selling something to somebody else, obviously you wouldn't interrupt a sale, but you know, just walking into their booth when nobody else is there, that's a great time to talk to them. Unless they look suit the same. Uh, yeah, I do actually have that fear now thinking about it. Uh, whenever I'm at a design fair and I am talking to, let's say, like a publisher of a magazine or like the writer or um, a designer, for instance, I yeah. um, even though there's no one there, sometimes I get worried that I might be taking up too much time. And usually they will um, they will tell me they they will assure me that um, there's no one there anyway. So <laughs> I am making the day by talking to them, um, yeah. which is nice. Uh, yeah. So now we're moving on to the open mic section. This is your chance to talk about anything that you're passionate about, and it doesn't have to be related to the topic at all. So take it away. The floor is yours. Oh, okay. Um, hmm. I'm not really sure. I guess, I guess, okay. Well, one thing that people ask me sometimes, you know, if they, if they hear that I am an art appraiser and advisor, they'll just say, well, you must have a ton of art on your walls. That's, you know, worth so much money. And I say, actually, I just buy what I like. And some things are things that have just been given to me, you know, like, you know, for instance, I have a lot of random things that I've picked up or my parents picked up, you know, somewhere along the line and, you know, and it's just sort of, handed down but one of the things that i'm one of the things that i'm sort of interested in is is having conversations with people about well why do you like this you know what what is it that draws you to this is it you know sometimes it's just decorative and you're like i really like that and there's nothing wrong with that um i do think that it's important for people to really like what they have hanging on their walls for instance i might go to a museum and see something that i think is absolutely amazing and stare at it all day but i wouldn't want it hanging on my walls because it's <laughs> it's too much it's just it just wouldn't wouldn't work um so so yeah i just i just think that you know people should just um i mean i can't help it i just love to give advice but i just think that people should get to know artists buy art and you know just enjoy it enjoy the process and not worry too much about it just um, you know, buy what you love or collect what you love. And it's not, and sometimes collecting doesn't even have to be actually buying it. Sometimes in the beginning stage, it's just on Instagram. You're just saving things in little Instagram folders of like, this is what I like. And then just being able to reflect on that later is, is not. Yeah, that's a great uh, mentality to collect art with. I often find myself that um, even though I might like a piece of art, it might not fit my my interiors um, or my decor at home. So 
I might not necessarily get it, especially if it's too big. But if it's like a small little print that I can save somewhere in a folder, um, that like, you know, stuff like that. But if it's a small little print, just don't put it in a folder. Invest in a frame and put it on your wall. That's my attitude. <laughs> and and yeah, frames it's... are inexpensive, especially if you buy them. Like one of the one of my favorite artists, he's actually really hilarious. His name is Hunt Sloan. He does these crazy like paintings of brightly colored birds and bunny rabbits. They're just weird, crazy, fun paintings. But one of the things he started doing is he started buying, you know, the discarded antique frames. And he just started fixing them up and then putting his paintings in there. And they look hysterical because it's like a giant bunny head in this gilt ornate frame. And I love it. So I just, I think that people should just, I love frames. Frames are, especially antique frames. I think they're fascinating. They're really well carved. So I always tell people, just mix it up. Just get a frame, frame it yourself. I do Good need luck. to find more frames. And I have been trying to go to the thrift store to get more secondhand frames and sometimes it kills me to do this but sometimes um they have prints in a really beautiful frame and i prefer the frame <laughs> so i put in um another piece of art there oh that's um, good but yeah i do need to get on getting more frames because sometimes um I, I don't have a car, so transporting a bunch of frames is not the easiest thing to do, <laughs> which is why what, I have... Where do you live? Um, what, what town are you in? Oh, what town? Uh, I'm in Brunswick East, which is just a bit north of um, the CBD of Melbourne. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, don't know if you have any idea where that is, but... No, well, no, it's, it's, not, it's not that I don't know. I, I know I have probably distant cousins that are in Australia because when my great-great-great-grandfather oh, yeah. was leaving Ireland to come to America, he came here by accident. He was supposed to get on the ship sailing for Australia to no meet his way. brother. He stopped for an extra cup of tea with his mother and missed the ship and had to get on some ship because he couldn't stay in ireland anymore something you know compelled him to leave so he ended up not going to australia coming to new york instead so i i do have distant cousins in australia that is incredibly cool uh do you know where they are i have to look it up on ancestry.com to be honest i did a lot <laughs> of ancestry research a few years ago and i figured out where some of them were uh but i i just i can't remember that is so interesting. I want updates on this story if okay. you ever get more. I Because um, I've been trying to uh, fix up my family tree as well and find out more about where, like, what my ancestors are and where they come from and what happens. So, yeah, yeah. that's really cool. It's but cool. before we go on, like, another half an hour talking about DNA and <laughs> family trees and ancestry... Uh, thank you so much, Victoria, for joining us today. If our listeners want to find out more about you, where can they go? Well, my website is just very easy. It's just artappraiser.co. Artappraiser.co. We will yes. link that in the show notes. Thank next. you so much for tuning in and we'll catch you in the next episode. Okay, great. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Self-Improvement Atlas, the Personal Science Insights Podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. 
For more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives, search LMSL on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get updated on everything we have to offer. We have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it and subscribing to our channel as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pe.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Marie Stella. Thanks for tuning in.